Looking to expand your playlist? Well, Fat Lulz Radio has got you covered. Your nerd culture get dissected on the Fickle Fanboy with RPM. Get your fill of uncensored talk radio with the Robin Slim Show. Hear funny and interesting interviews on Unseriously Serious. Get the best life advice from Jerry and Cal on From the Bottom. Delve into the dark side of the internet with What the Fuck with Dan and Jess. Go across the pond for some British humor with the Ped and Meller Show. And if you're looking to get involved, air your grievances with all things nerdy on the League of Infuriated Nerds. All these shows and more await you at Fat Lulz Radio. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can find our shows on all different types of podcasts apps as well as iTunes. Be sure to check us out. Fat Lowell's Radio. Stuff full of entertainment. You're listening to The Fickle Fanboy. Brought to you by Fat Lowell's Radio. apologize for a couple weeks ago. You know, I I got a little hot under the collar. And I apologize. It's just that Michael Bay tends to get right under my skin and burrow like some sort of parasite that you just can't get rid of. So, again, half-heartedly, I apologize. But we won't have to worry about that shit today. Because we're not even going to look at movies. And we're not going to look at comics either. You know, not, nothing that could possibly piss me off today. So uh, we're, we're going to go with the best of the worst of wrestling. WrestleMania 8. Because... Mania 8 took place in 1992 in Indianapolis, Indiana at the Hoosier Dome. And, (laughs) oh, what a doozy it was. It, It was one of my favorite manias of all time. And not because of... The usual reason that we cover shit in this segment. It's not uh, so bad that it's good. But in this one case, it's so good, it's great. What about the booking? Shut up. Because the event was headlined by... Two dual main events, with the first being World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair defending his title against Macho Man Randy Savage. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, I'm funky like a monkey, sky's the limit and space is the place. In the climax of what was a legendary duel 
And the second main event showed the immortal one, Hulk Hogan, fighting against, well, I can't even say all odds, because he was going up against Sid Justice, or Sid Vicious, or Psycho Sid, who a, a rose under any other name is still a rose. And Sid Justice, under any other name, couldn't fucking wrestle or talk on the mic. But if <laughs> that anticlimactic climax wasn't enough, also included was an Intercontinental Championship match, pitting Roddy Piper against Bret the Hitman Hart in one of my favorite matches of all time. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And then, of course, you had shit like the Tag Champs, Money Inc., back at it again, just as they were when I covered Mania 9, as they went up against the Natural Disasters who, as a tag team, were naturally disastrous. <laughs> but the, the, that's just... <laughs> all that is merely the tip of the iceberg. Because the show opens with a graphic that was nowhere near as cheesy as the graphic that opened the same pay-per-view a year later as Vincent Kennedy McMahon runs down the main events and points out that uh, th this has been billed as Hogan's farewell match for no other reason than H Hogan wanted some time off and Vinnie Mac didn't really see his run going anywhere for much longer. So, this was kind of a way to try and usher him out. But the idea that this was anywhere near his last match was total bullshit. Since he shows up at Mania 9, which we covered last season. And then, not only does he show up at that point, but like that boil on your ass that you just can't get rid of, he sticks around for much longer than necessary. Right, right up until the point where he jumps ship to WCW and hangs around there for a good couple of years. And then hops right back when it's convenient to WW <coughs> So yeah he he sticks around for a good 12 to 14 years or so after all this and no no if you, if you just did the math I'm not really counting any of his crap in TNA or GFW or WTF, or IDGAF, or whatever the hell it's called. I, I didn't count it then, and I, I'm not counting it now, and I probably won't ever count it. So, there, there you have that. But we cut from the graphic to the commentators for the event, the legendary duo of Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan, or as I call them, the JR and Jerry the King Lawler of their time. Who in previous years had given us 
absolute fucking gold during stints on shows like primetime wrestling and the likes of that shit. And after being the lead commentator for the previous seven manias, this would actually be the last WrestleMania to feature Monsoon as a commentator, even though, as I pointed out last season, he would pop up at the start of number nine for uh, about the length of a cunt hair. And this go-around would also mark the very first and only time in WrestleMania history where Monsoon and Heenan called the entire event on their own. So, we obviously missed out on some damned good mania commentary throughout the years, thanks to Vince and whatever the fuck he was smoking. But, whatever. Because this mania... As if the fact that this was one of the only ones, if not the only one, to feature Monsoon and Heenan going it alone, it's also the first to clock in at under three hours. And I can't think of any other one that had really done so. Maybe a handful of times, but no, not not so much after this one. But the company had dropped the fourth hour and condensed the show down to the more common three-hour format that they had used for SummerSlam and Survivor Series and even the Royal Rumble. But... It wasn't really all that hard to condense it down, even just a smidge. Because once you took out the match that had been scheduled with the British Bulldog versus the Berserker, you know, once that ended up not taking place and not taking up our time, even though it was said to have been scrapped because of time constraints. And Davy boys want and need to put on a fucking show. Once you get past those things and just toss that in the wastebasket, it, it wasn't that hard to narrow it down to what we really wanted to see. And there you have it. Two hours and change. But we'll get to more of that shit later. Yet, I do find it funny that that particular match was scrapped. While the dark match between the Beverly Brothers and the Bushwhackers was actually allowed to go on anywhere for any promotion. Ever let alone Adamania. So, what the fuck was that all about? Eh, whatever. Because to kick off the show itself, uh, like I said, we had the opening graphics, we land smack dab into the laps of Monsoon and Heenan, and within seconds, after the yak, 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 talk, 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 Something about Jake the Snake versus Undertaker. And we're thrown into the ring with Reba McIntyre, the country music legend and icon, who sang a a rendition of the Star-Spangled Banner that would knock your fucking socks off. Or at least it would if they hadn't kept cutting to the damned crowd and distracting everybody that was watching at home. Just because Vince McMahon likes to show 
how many people showed up just to watch his shit. But then, after she was done, the whole damn thing senselessly and seemingly transitioned into Tito Santana's entrance as El Matador, as he makes his way to the ring in ring garb that they would soon retire and throw into the warehouse until Los Matadores needed it. And just like Tito Santana and his soon-to-be foe, Shawn Michaels, you'll find that much like that match, about half this show is really just that. Matches thrown together as they kind of bump into each other and get tossed to and tossed about for no real fucking reason ever. But whatever. Because once he's in the ring, soon to follow is HBK. The newly turned heel, Shawn Michaels. And you can't help but feel bad for Tito, who was stuck with the Matador gimmick as a way to revive his career. And you look at him, and you look at just his whole damned get-up in the ring right now. And you can see exactly why it didn't fucking work. I, I, I don't know who thought of El Matador, but whoever it was should be kicked out of the wrestling business for life. And I say that knowing full well that it was probably Mr. McMahon himself. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, Sean turned heel at the beginning of this year, 1992, after he threw his one-time tag team partner, Marty Jannetty, right through the window of the barbershop talk show segment, hosted by Brutus the fucking barber, in a defining moment that would signal Sean's never-ending flip-flopping between good guy and bad guy, just depending on the way that the wind was blowing on that particular day. But on this day, as he walks down the aisle with sensational Sherry, they are both in all their glory. And then... The damned bell had to ring. Say what now? Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of what I said when I first saw this. Because with a few pokes, a few pushes, a shot to the noggin of HBK, and a crossbody by Tito, we may be off to the races, but... The first lap of this particular race is boring as all hell. Because that crossbody falls right into a two count. And even with it being only a few minutes into the fucking match, as the ref counts, one, two, we already hope for the three. Because even this early in the game, we don't see it getting much better. And we were right. Because even as they get up, and it looks like things might be picking up, no, no, they, they really never do. Because it goes right back into shoving which leads right into another headlock. So, and just about the time that we wonder if this is the headlock that will never end, 
it finally ends. With a few shots from HBK and a clothesline from Tito as a receipt. As Sean goes ass over tea kettle right to the outside. That is until he gets helped back inside with another headlock before mounting the shortest of short comebacks and I do mean extremely short before being the recipient of yet one more headlock. Oh fuck we're back to that again. Yeah, yeah. Yet another mania that begins with a match with HBK fighting somebody who ultimately carries the match with little more than headlocks and jabs. So, there you have it. And sure, these headlocks produce a few close calls, but little more until finally that shit ends and Tito ends up on the outside. And rather than take a few minutes to catch his breath, the dumbass gets back in only to be greeted with a backbreaker and a reverse chin lock. And suddenly, they're both back up and, Whoa, sweet chin music. That's gotta be the end of it, right? Yeah, not so much. Because, you see, this is all before the super kick was HBK's finisher. So, <laughs> yeah, no. El Matador gets up and has some more fun, but <laughs> not for long, because after a short burst that lands them both outside again before getting back inside again, and even after Santana lands his own finishing maneuver, it's over. HBK unceremoniously lands on Tito after being dragged back inside. And before you know it, without even so much as a how do you do, that match is over. No high spot, no big moment at the end, no three count from the crowd, just... Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And there we have it. Mr. WrestleMania gets the three count at just under ten minutes and stumbles back down the aisle. And, yeah. But ten minutes was way too long for this shit. Because Sean was just getting into his own. And it was the end of Chico I and mean, Tito's career. And he was well past his prime. So, really, the best I can say about this match was, it is what it is. They worked hard, and at an okay pace, and it, it did what it was supposed to do. And set the mood and all that jazz. But uh, other than that... It was really for nothing more than a chance for Gorilla Monsoon to note that Sean had already challenged the winner of the IC title match. So as to set the tone for the future of that belt, as it was already evident that Michaels was definitely headed somewhere. But with this match as is, I don't think anyone knew exactly where that was. Because all this was was a stall fest and a snooze fest wrapped up in one. But whatever. Because before you know it, we're swept off to the Midwest's best contribution to professional wrestling. Mean Gene Okerlund. As... 
he gets right down to business and simply belts out, Here they come! As L.O.D. storms their way to Gene, with Paul Ellering right behind them. And if you don't know who Paul Ellering is, and what he's done in the industry, well, you're either new to wrestling, or you're an NXT fan. Which, even then, by now, you kinda have to know who the fuck he is. Cause you may have chanted, who are you? when he first made his NXT debut. But by now, you, you had to have Googled him, right? Ah, anyway. But the legendary trio heads straight toward Mean Gene and cuts one of their best promos as a tag team ever Ever, 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 ever. From I have returned to tell him, Hawk, and right on past, look who's driving the train. I mean, this whole damn thing is just beautiful, but it doesn't last nearly long enough. But as a consolation prize, we get thrown to Sean Mooney and the master manipulator of minds, Jake the Snake Roberts, who cuts an amazing promo yet again, as if not all of his promos are just absolutely fucking nut bars as they recount an incident in the funeral parlor a talk show on WW <laughs> superstars hosted by Paul Bearer and mainly used as a way to give the heels promo time or Further, whatever feud that The Undertaker had going on at that time. Which is exactly what it did when Jake laid his trap for Taker and closed a casket on his hand while assaulting Bearer and then turning his eyes and fists on the Phenom himself. Convenient how that shit worked out, isn't it? Seeing as the very next match is The Undertaker versus Jake the Snake Roberts. But anyway, they make their way down to the ring, and if you're watching it on the network, by the time they get down to the ring, and Taker takes his hat off and his coat off, and we get down to business, shit, the damned match is already a third of the way done. But finally, the bell tolls, and we start having some fun, as the dead man stalks the snake, and... Jake gets in a few cheap jabs, which mean Mark no-sells, until Roberts finally clotheslines Taker off of his feet and right outside of the ring, only to drag his opponent right out there with him, which I, I don't get, no matter how many times it happens. Why not just take 10 seconds to relax and get your ass back in there at the count of about nine and a half? Well, you see, uh, um, see, the, the reason it makes sense is uh, I, I got nothing. 
it just dumbfounds me every fucking time. But whatever. Because the moment that Jake's out there too, he gets knocked about before they just make their way back into the ring. But once back in there, well, <laughs> pretty much more of the same. Jake throws a few hands and does a few moves, which the dead man no-sells, and then Taker turns the tide and chokes the living shit right out of Jake. A, a move, mind you, that he only breaks to land a flying clothesline, which is now known as one of his most famous and iconic moves. So, but Jake eventually rebounds, and then a few short-arm clotheslines, and a, a couple of DDTs later, and just about the time that you think that the snake is finally making a, a comeback and maybe gonna win this one. He gets planted on his fucking noggin with a tombstone pile driver and one, two, three. It's over. Seven minutes in, or at least just under, and Taker gets his second win in what will be over 20 consecutive wins at the same pay-per-view over the years, only to lose that winning streak to a souped-up farm boy from South Dakota. So, gotta love their booking. But before I get too depressed about that shit, we get shoved off to... Mean Gene Okerlund, who's in the back, with the participants of our next match, Rowdy Roddy Piper and Brett the Hitman Hart, who are about to put on a technical wrestling clinic in a, an absolute classic, but not before this classic promo, as they talk about their history with each other. A history which legit goes back to when they were kids. But once that's all over, everyone heads to the ring to get shit started, and these boys lock up. And this shit's fast paced, let me tell you. Cause a few takedowns, Piper gets tossed out of the ring, and then some shoving goes on, and everyone gets a little hot under the collar as these guys start to fuck with each other a little bit here and there. A small test of strength, and then the first punch is thrown. About damn time. And then we get a drop kick to Piper followed by a quick roll-up for a count of two. And before you know it, they go ass over tea kettle, and they both land out of the ring. But Piper makes it back in before Brett, and then the gentleman that he is holds the ropes for his foe before getting the advantage thanks to a cheap shot that eventually lands him a bulldog, and busts Brett wide open, and as he bleeds like a stuck Filipino box spring hog, a few punches back and forth, and a moment where Piper lands out of the ring for a second, and we're almost done here folks, cause a suplex, a neckbreaker, and a ref bump later, we and Piper are finally at a crossroads. Because we don't want this to end 
and Piper's got to decide whether or not he wants to be a heel or a babyface. But he picks up the ring bell and thinks about it for a little bit before finally tossing the bell to the side and deciding that he wants to win this legit. Which, bad move, because before you know it, the cover, and there you have it. One, two, three, your new champion, Bret Hart. So, smart move, Roddy. But this shit is over after just under 14 minutes. And as they leave the ring and Bobby the Brain Heenan introduces everybody at home to the newest addition to the World Bodybuilding Federation, which no one's ever heard of, mainly because it didn't last very long. But as he introduces everybody to Lex Luger, well, right about here is where I would normally talk about the last match. But, frankly, I think that shit speaks for itself. So, let's get to the pre-match interviews for the eight-man tag coming up. Which, if it's all the same to you, I'm just gonna go ahead and skim over. But on one side, we have the Nasty Boys, the Mountie, and Repo Man. And on the other side, we've got Virgil... Duggan, Sergeant Slaughter, and Big Boss Man. And with everybody in the damned ring already, and his huge dick for the win and we head to Sean Mooney who's standing by with Mr. Perfect and the dirtiest player in the game Ric Flair as they cut a promo as only they can while gawking at some non-existent photo of Miss Elizabeth. But soon enough, everyone heads down to the ring, and we get this party started. As the Fink introduces our combatants, as Savage begins to chase the champ back down the aisle from whence they just came. And once he gets his hands on him, Mach just goes to town on Flair. And he, he tackles him down to the ground and just lays in before the nature boy is saved by Mr. Perfect, Kurt Henning. But once they're both back in the ring, Nature gets a few cheap shots in, but that doesn't last long and Randy clotheslines the shit out of him and just begins lambasting him with lefts and rights and jabs and kicks and a little bit of biting here and there Randy's just going all out to get his revenge for everything that Ric Flair and Bobby Heenan and even Mr. Perfect have all said about his woman, Miss Elizabeth. And as we get a two count with Ric Flair's shoulders squarely on the mat, shit, this is already, I mean, between the build up and now the payoff, <laughs> this is already worth the just over 30 bucks that you would pay for such a pay per view even back in the day. 
And as Rick sends the macho one out to the floor, I, I gotta say that it's not just them that are really making this match. Because if it wasn't for Hebner's reactions in the ring and Bobby the Brain Heenan losing his shit on commentary, well, you could have Savage and Flair and Henning all doing the cha-cha for all I give a shit. And it wouldn't be nearly as entertaining as it was without those components. But enough about that shite. Cause Rick has dragged his opponent out there with him. And begins to get the upper hand. By ramming him into the ring apron. And just getting a good few cheap shots in. As any heel would, that happens to be worth his salt. Which, you know, I've never understood that phrase. But there's no time for that, because they've already gone and taken it back inside the ring. As Rick chops his foe down to size, almost literally in the corner. As he gets a two count, not once, not twice, but three different times before sending Savage back out of the ring and continues to work Randy's back both in and out of the ring, resulting in a two count, at which time Randy finally starts to make a comeback with a few jabs which follow into a nice little reverse neckbreaker, as Randy stays on him like stink on shit, until a two count. But after kicking out of that, Rick gets sent to the outside, with Randy not too far behind, as Macho continues to stalk and hunt Flair. Ramming him into just about anything that's not nailed down. And even into some stuff that might have been nailed down. And Flare bleeds, and bleeds right into a Flare flop. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's only one of the most glorious moves in all of wrestling. But he does his signature flop. At which time, Randy smells blood in the water and suplexes that bastard right onto the concrete before dragging his carcass into the ring for yet another two count. As the crowd goes apeshit, as Savage lands the big elbow and goes for another two count right before Mr. Perfect saves Flair's ass by getting physically involved for the first time since dragging Randy into the ring at the beginning of the match. And, of course, this distracts Randy just long enough to get the slight ref bump that's needed in order to distract everybody except for the cameraman, from the object that Mr. Perfect tosses to Rick, which he then hits Randy with and knocks him down and out just long enough to get a two count. As Flair gets a second wind, and even if he hadn't, the chair shot that Mr. Perfect just gave the side of Macho Man would have bought him some time anyway. So, he had that going for him. Because even as Randy's reinforcements come down to the ring in the form of the lovely Elizabeth, you pretty much figure that 
Rick has got it all in the bag as he straps on the figure four. And you keep on thinking that right up until Randy rolls him up and gets the tights for the one, two, three. And there you go. Your new heavyweight champion, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. So, ooh, yeah, dig it. But as they go ahead and clear the ring, and Bobby's besties continue their damaged goods rhetoric. Look at this, Gino, look at this, everyone. Woo! You know what this means? Elizabeth was mine before she was yours. Woo! Right before they throw it to Mean Gene, who's with Bonesaw McGraw and wife. It's time for the next match. But before we can even get to that, I don't know who in the back thought right now would be a good time to recap everything that brought us Hogan and Justice. But, yeah, that that's what they do right now. So, while they're doing that, I'll just go ahead and take a moment to say that that last one was one of the most non-stop, brilliantly paced matches that I've ever fucking seen before that time and since. But as much as I'd like to talk about that some more, it's about time to go from a great match to a great distraction as the model Rick Martell and Tatanka are in the ring about to lock up. But once they do, Martell takes an early advantage with a few high knees to the gut and a few lefts and rights to the face. Right up until a hip toss from Tatanka. As I begin to look at Martell and realize how hard it is to take a man in pink tights, hot pink tights at that, at all seriously. Even as he tosses Tatanka out of the ring after a, a cute little back and forth that lasts the first few minutes of the match. I mean, even as Gorilla Monsoon accidentally calls him Ric Flair and Bobby the Brain Heenan is too busy making racist Indian jokes to even notice. As he helps Tatanka back into the ring, I still can't take him seriously. Even as he puts a boot to the dude. I, I, just, I just can't. Hell, I can barely take this match seriously. Which is okay, because, hell, after a little bit more of Martell showboating and beating the crap out of Tatanka, Tatanka hits a crossbody, and apparently that's enough to end the match. So, there you have it. Round about five minutes in, and we're done. And we're off to dual interviews with the tag teams for the next match. And this this match was... Basically, it was what it was. It was thrown together, hastily done, but at least it had Martell, who could make anybody look good. But even he couldn't carry the match. Because no matter what he did, it still didn't reach its potential. And because of that, I'm not going to spend any more time on it. 
So up next is Money Inc. versus The Natural Disasters. Or as I like to call them, Two Tons of Fun. I think I saw porno under the same name. But no time for that. Because once they're down to the ring... Actually, even then nothing happens. Because basically the whole fucking match is Money Inc. trying to get the best of their opponents. But it, it takes almost the whole fucking match for that to even happen. And once it does, after IRS throws Typhoon into the steel steps, it doesn't last very long. Because, yeah, they get some double teaming in, and they tag back and forth, back and forth a little bit, in and out, and just work Typhoon over. But eventually... Typhoon makes the tag to Earthquake, and Money Inc. is back to square one. Right up until they decide, fuck it, and leave the ring, and take the count out. Because if they lose that way, they lose nothing. They keep their titles, and win-win. So... This one's over. And time for the next match. The Rocket, Owen Hart, going up against Skinner, who, the moment that Owen does a flip into the ring, Skinner goes ahead and ambushes the younger Hart, and takes control early on, as he rips off Owen's jacket and spits some chewing tobacco right in his face. But his luck only lasts a few seconds before Owen turns the tide and rolls him up for the win. So, shit, that was short. Thank goodness. But once they're out of the ring, and we've sat through a shitty Sid Justice promo, which is actually, if you know anything about Sid Vicious, or Justice, or Psycho Sid, or whatever the fuck you want to call him, if you know anything about his promos, this may have been shitty shitty shitty, but actually, by his standards, It was pretty damned good. And that says more about how bad he was as a promo than it does about this actual promo right here. So, but now, on to his match against Hogan, who, as soon as Hulkster's down to the ring, Sid goes ahead and just starts laying into him even as the music continues. But unfortunately for him, this is Hulk Hogan we're talking about, and that's not gonna stand. Cause Hogan sends his ass to the outside over and over and over again. As the music wraps up, and he rips off his shirt and poses for a second. But once that's over, Sid gets back into the ring and takes over with a high knee to the gut, a few shots with his boot, and a nice forearm to the back. And as he brings Hulkamania to its knees, we're already about a third of the way through this son of a bitch. But as Hogan sends Sid out of the ring, 
Well, it doesn't get much better, because Sid gets back in and invites Hogan to a test of strength. And before you know it, Hogan's back on his knees. But he eventually hulks up, and things look to be turning his way. Right up until he gets a chokeslam for his worries. Before being sent outside after having his back worked on for a little bit. And as he lies there on the concrete, writhing in pain, and you wonder who the fuck just said, I love every second of this, off camera as you're watching it on the network. Well, damn, this thing's almost over. I, I know a second ago, I said that we were about a third of the way through, but that's just how much time they give this motherfucker. Because we're almost done here, folks. Because Hogan gets dragged back in and gets a nerve hold slapped on him for a two count. And then... Sid delivers a big ol' powerbomb, right in the middle of the ring, followed by a two-count, because what the hell, this is Hogan. And as the Huckster makes a comeback, and delivers the big ol' boot, and leg drop. Well, normally, that would probably finish anybody off. But because he's leaving the company anyway, and because they needed somewhere for Papa Shango to show up, and because someone ended up missing their fucking cue at some point or another, Sid is forced to kick out. <laughs> Yeah, I love a good botch. But as the bell rings and Papa Shango finally joins the party, uh, we're pretty much, holy shit, is that Ultimate Warrior? Oh, fuck yeah, it is. Oh, shit. God, he was horrible. But, yeah, <laughs> that's him. Uh Warrior makes his return to save the Immortal One in what was to be his last match, but only ended up being his last match until next year when he would come back right around this same time and hang around for a very short stint before jumping ship to WCW and basically just kicking it there, fighting gimmick after gimmick, right up until the Dungeon of Doom, and then finally reinventing himself as the leader of the NWO, before coming back to WW <laughs> in the early 2000s, and then leaving again to go to TNA or whatever the hell, and then make his return again. And <laughs> we all know how that ended. But they clean house, and then real American hits. They hug and pose like they don't hate each other. And then... Gorilla signs off. So, we're done here, brother. And in less than half the time that it took for this pay-per-view to run its course, I've gone and covered the fucking thing. So, really, I've done a better job than them at keeping it under three hours. 
but now, covering all this crap has made me need to take one of my own. So, I'm done here, folks. Uh, I'm through for this week. But, until next time, you can find me on Twitter at, at FickleFanboyRPM or on Instagram at, at the Fickle Fanboy Podcast, or just trolling the Fickle Fanboy Facebook page. But, yeah, you can find me. So, do so. And until next time, remember, folks, this has been a Fat Moles Radio production. To hear more shows like this, go to soundcloud.com slash Radio. And I'll be seeing you.